So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Man fans. Ollie Man here with the season finale of The Modern Man. And hello, Al, our resident trauma surgeon in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You may recall Al from previous shout-outs, such as when he sponsored an entire episode of the show last year. Well, he's been back in touch just to say he's still listening and wants to continue supporting us. And uh, evidently, he's not short of cash. He is a trauma surgeon. Uh, So he has now signed up to send us a three-figure sum of beer money over the next few months. Uh, That is remarkable. Thank you, Al. In case you're wondering, that's three figures before the decimal point. Uh, So that is remarkable. Thank you, Al. Thank you, everybody who makes a beer money contribution to the show, big or small. We really appreciate it. And in fact, the idea for this week's middle feature came from our small circle of patrons of the arts. It was from Manfan Darcy. He emailed to say, Ollie, why have you never done an episode on sperm donation? I was recently drawn to the London Sperm Bank because their logo and lender hand campaign are funny. But now I'm fascinated by the online donor search. It raises so many questions. How much information do recipients get to see about their donors? What kinds of restrictions do donors impose upon their recipients? Plus, I had heard, presumably on QI, that there were only two sperm donors in all of the UK, and this appears not to be the case. Uh, Well, indeed, Darcy. Uh, Our guest today is one of Britain's most prolific private sperm donors. He's fathered around 40 children and has five on the way. And we go into detail about exactly how he chooses his recipients, how the donation happens, and what the legal and moral implications of that are. I found him absolutely fascinating. I think you will too. Uh, Before we get going, though, uh, here is something that you can all do for me that costs nothing. Can you please subscribe a friend? Uh, We are really proud of this show, but we really want a bigger audience. And we know that when people hear the show, they tend to love the show. The difficulty is just letting people know we exist. So next time you're in the pub or the work canteen and the conversation turns to podcasts, don't just mention ours and trust your mates to find it. They won't. It's got a pun in the name. There are a lot of other shows to distract them along the way. Literally, can you pull out their phone subscribe to our show on their podcast app and download for them an episode from this last series that you think they'd particularly enjoy. Uh, So uh, a recap, in the last 10 weeks, we've brought you Robert Stone smuggling marijuana from Thailand. We've brought you Steve and Joe Peck and their brutally honest recollections of multiple miscarriage. We've shown you what it's really like to work for RT, to go to prison as a police officer and to open a restaurant with your life savings. Whichever episode you think would most appeal to your friend, 
please download it on their phone and let's double our audience. Subscribe a friend today. Uh, Right, on this week's show, you will learn the perfect cooking temperature for a thick-cut steak, you will learn four different names for running backwards, and you'll learn why a head torch is essential during insemination. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. The couple, they're just doing their thing. You're just in the bathroom or whatever with your sandwich box. Timing, legalities, morality and self-pleasure. The life of a private sperm donor. They do honeymoon boxes, kink boxes, an anal box. And Alex Fox samples sex subscription boxes to liven up your doormat. But first, it's time to talk trends with the man who's been stretching his foreskin incessantly since last week's show. It's Ollie Pitt with the Zeitgeist. And Ollie, <laughs> just just a look says it all. Uh, Ollie, last week, man fan Ashley in St Albans... Is that really how we're going to fucking start? Yeah. Just, are you yeah. serious? Yeah. Okay. Challenged you to try out the latest exercise fads, uh, stipulated as bouncer size and running backwards yeah. to work out which was more worthwhile. Yeah. How's your week been going? It was a weird world to dive into, but with backwards running, it has three different names, four different names. Backwards running, reverse running, retro running, or gnur isavr, which if you play that the other way around, that will just say reverse running. Oh, that's quite clever. Yeah. But trying to search for it and find people that do it is really difficult. There's the odd community. There's one in uh, Slovenia and there's one in Italy. Mm -hmm. The groups that do it tend to be much older. They're sort of 50 plus. Hmm, That's surprising because you'd think self-selectingly those would be people that would be run over more frequently. They do it around tracks, mainly. (laughs) Oh, I see. Like That's the safest way to do it. And and they do it because it's low impact exercise. So, you know, their joints are suffering. They're getting old. Mm. They're taking cod liver oil. I suppose it's different parts of your leg you're exercising to your normal walking routine as well, isn't it? So even if you've got strains, arthritis or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's a completely different movement, isn't it? But using the same muscles. Yeah. And to start out, actually, they advise doing what's called retro pedaling, which is what I did. That's basically backwards walking. But I did it in the house. <laughs> you didn't dare leave the house walking backwards. Which is why these people do it around the track, not just for safety, but you must just look like a complete moron, right? I mm. mean... You could get away with doing it in a marathon, but that's because there's people dressed up as bananas and monkeys. So, mm. But it's just a very different movement. You notice it's slightly less pressure on your knees, I guess. Mm-hmm. What, did you try walking backwards up your stairs? Yes. Yeah. How did that go? Uh, fine, actually. I was all right. I mean, it was pretty and That's uneventful. probably the most dangerous challenge you've actually ever done, in fact. Walking <laughs> backwards up a stairs. No, what could have happened. The yeah. most dangerous thing for backwards runners is it's not uphill, it's downhill. Because if you miss your step and you're going, like and you're going down a relatively steep hill, you can sort of roll backwards and like, mm. smash the back of your head. But the point is, this low-impact thing is a trend, mm. and that's what it's got in common with bouncer size, right, which is exercise classes on trampolines. Yeah. You've seen these high-intensity workouts, Ironman, all those kinds of things. People, like, more than ever, people are doing, like, long-distance running. They're really pushing themselves with cycling mm. and that kind of thing. I spoke to someone at a company called Boogie Bounce, and they are like a a mini trampoline exercise company. So they've got 200 places around the country where you can pay to do courses or programs, exercises on these trampolines with a instructor. They work with a physiotherapist who 10 years ago said that they saw 30 under 30s with hip and knee injuries but now because of this increase in these types of activities they see 300 the idea of the trampoline is that it offers a level of resistance so you can still get that really fast cardio like get your heart pumping and that kind of stuff Mm. but 
you're not putting as much pressure on your joints in the same way as running backwards. So that's then, the idea. I mean, so does water aerobics. But the image of that is it's something old women do, whereas the image of bouncer size appears to be something that millennials do. But it's kind of the same objective, isn't it? You're right in that the way that they sort of present bouncer size now, so this company in particular, their programs are choreographed dances, basically. Hmm. So you go in. It's like it's like if you're the kind of person <laughs> that thinks it would be fun to have a cocktail in a place where you can play golf indoors. <laughs> This is the exercise class for you. That's basically the marketing, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's that. So they say we got all the chart hits. You come in and you can listen to that. <laughs> and you, and, no, it's true. And and you can you request. You sound like Pat Sharp's running but it. But you can request songs as well. She said they're getting requests for like Mamma Mia. So you can do it to like Mamma Mia. So you okay. can go in. Yeah. So, you know, you could go in with some mates and go, oh, let's let's have this. So they're trying to make it a more sort of like social activity, mm-hmm. I guess. But the one thing that they don't appeal to or who they don't appeal to is men. It's like they're 95% women. I mean, would you go and do it? Well, I have a frequently redislocating shoulder, so I think any kind of repetitive exercise that uses any part of my body that I don't on a regular basis exercise would be a poor choice for me. Hmm. Experience tells me. I mean, the last time I dislocated it was doing a go-ape tree assault course. <laughs> so I think size just has broken shoulder all over it. But yeah, I would actually, if, if I didn't have any physical impairment to stop me. I, I, because I've always hated sport, but I actually think stuff that's fun is fun. Like, bouncing on a trampoline is fun, isn't it? It's not proper sport. It's just it's a laugh, isn't it? Yeah, it does look fun. You watch their videos and it does look fun. And in September, they're launching one which is aimed specifically at men. So mm-hmm. it, they've removed the... Yeah, see, I don't think I'd go to that. <laughs> well, no, they've removed the like the dancing element. They yeah, think that a, that's a the bit. of like, really sweaty men jumping on a trampoline to disco music. I just don't want to be there either. Well, that's and... the bit they've taken away, the oh, disco music. So it's more about... It's just in silence. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Jim's like anyway right I want a mixed class is what I would want well there is another thing called trampoline parks you heard of trampoline parks yeah I got one of those down my neck of the woods there's over 200 in the country now Mm -hmm. they spawned in like light industrial estates they'll get a warehouse they'll kit it out with like these trampolines that are interconnected across the floor you bounce around and you can jump over cars and stuff that they've got in I didn't realise all that kind of stuff and they've got like the thing with the basketball net so you can like jump and like shoot some hoops on, with a trampoline. Oh, you can't put yourself through the basketball net. No, well, you could. I was imagining and, like a total wipeout type scenario. Well, some people probably do because it, last year, just in those parks, there were 1,500 admissions to A&E. I suppose it's helpful that so many of them are located near Which, major transport routes. Well, it's like the complete opposite of the other two. It's like, you you know, you're, you are going to injure yourself if you want to go to a trampoline park and exercise. You're more likely to get injured because you're not holding on. Like with the bouncer side stuff, you've actually got a handle. You can hold on. You can bounce. You can do it to your music with lots of sweaty blokes around. Mm. The trampoline park, if you get it wrong, you face first on the floor. Okay. So on balance then, which of the two trends would you say is more worthwhile? Right. Well, I've done walking backwards. Yeah. And I haven't done bouncer size, but Why? I am being sent a bouncer size trampoline with DVD. Don't even have a DVD player, but we'll figure that out. What I'm going to do <laughs> is I'm going to use it from now until the next series. Oh, Christ. And then just report back and see how good it is. Okay, but you're not going to then at that point, are you, admit to the fact when we come back in October. Yeah, so I tried it for three months and turns out the uh, five minutes I spent backwards running was more <laughs> worthwhile. I wanted to try both, but I needed a trampoline. I didn't have one, so they're sending me one. Um, it's interesting, though, Ollie, that you've set yourself a challenge to do over our break because um, Manfan Jax has also done that. Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> you don't get off that easily. No, Jesus, come on. I thought we had time off. No? Um, Jeez. And do you know what? I actually I think it would be fun for you to read this one. I'm going to pass you to the digital envelope. Here you go. Yeah. This is your challenge for our series break. Read it out for our listeners. My name is Jax. I'm the founder and organiser of the most successful annual skinny dip in the UK. (laughs) 
<laughs> and this year, I'd like Ollie to join us. Yeah. <sighs> That's right, Ollie. We're sending you to the North East Skinny Dip, an established and popular annual mass skinny dip that takes place on Druridge Bay as the sun rises. It's a celebration of life, of nature, and of our own unique physical bodies. It's about taking a risk and embracing a moment of pure joy and freedom. In the northeast. Yep. In, in September. <laughs> yeah, Sunday, 23rd of September, and it's all to raise money for Mind, so you basically can't back out of it now. If you'd like to join Ollie and see his bits in the flesh, we will put a link on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Just get loads of weirdos coming event. now. But wait, Ollie, there's more. Fuck <laughs> Since this is our season finale, uh, I can't just let you back on the train to Dorset. Mm. Tradition dictates that you will hang around for this week's foxhole and it'll be a sexual extravaganza. I'm not putting anything up my ass. Let's find out. <laughs> See you at the end of the show. Hello, man fans. My name's Josh Ebsworth. I trained how to barbecue in Austin, Texas, of all places. I also own my own food business here in London for three years. And these are my life hacks to cook a great barbecue. Tip number one is prep in advance. Super important in our professional kitchen as well as at home. Uh, Prepping in advance really allows you to spend more time with your guests instead of frantically chopping through onions on the day. You can really impress people with uh, a range of sort of chef-y things, so homemade pickles, homemade mayonnaises. One sauce that we always used to use at the restaurant had in buckets, uh, salsa verde, green herbs, coriander, parsley, mint, finely chopped with some garlic, lemon, some brown sugar, like pinch of paprika, heck of a lot of olive oil, and it goes great with anything. Tip number two, do your research. I think there's uh, a lot of science in play when, in terms of barbecuing things. For example, different meats uh, are done at different temperatures. Sounds really basic, but you can get it down to an exact science. Get yourself a digital read thermometer. Sort of a thick-cut steak uh, is going to be uh, medium rare, done at sort of 55 to 60 C. Just remember that, and you'll have perfect steaks every time. My final tip is get your presentation right. I always like to uh, sort of get out whatever dish I'm going to be uh, plating up on in advance. Uh, I've got some of these really cool old uh, sort of aluminium baking trays. We look great with stuff just plopped straight on it, looking supernatural. Also, uh, element of theatre. I like to have like a sort of small bowl full of flavoured olive oil, which we can just dash over whatever I'm grilling. Causes a little bit of flare up on the grill, like gathers guests' attention. And also remember to keep a little uh, spray bottle of water with you just in case you get a lot of flare-ups. This happens if you're cooking a lot of, say, proteins or lots of fats dripping on the coals. Uh, you want to you sort of cook your meat nicely, not burn the crap out of it. So those are my top three tips. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more, especially about grilling stuff, I would definitely recommend checking out The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling. It's a, a book by, uh, I think his name is Meathead Goldwyn. Um, he's also got a great website as well where he's got lots of recipes on there. Thanks to Josh for his life hacks, sponsored by Podcast Lounge for Windows. Podcast Lounge is the new podcatcher for Windows 10 devices. It's an app where you can discover, subscribe and enjoy podcasts. Podcast Lounge saves time by downloading new episodes in the background, so everything is ready to go when you need it, even when you're on the move. What will you get up to in the lounge? Go to Windows 10 Store and download your free trial of Podcast Lounge now. Now, what would make you want to donate your sperm. For Mitch Kennedy, it was a pop-up ad he saw on a university computer when he was an undergraduate in biomedical science. The ad simply said, could you 
be a superhero. The university was attached to a hospital with a fertility clinic. Later in life, Mitch went on to have a son of his own, but back then, at 18, he'd imagined he was heading for a childless bohemian adulthood, travelling the world without ever having a family. So the idea of donating sperm appealed to him as a way of passing on his genes without having any responsibility for actually parenting someone. The process took a couple of years, because initially his sperm didn't respond well to freezing. But when the technology evolved... Mitch's samples were made available to recipients. And they still are. There's this misconception that the donors at a clinic are just these, they're all these medical students who are, you know, great looking and do all these sports and stuff. And But the reality is that most of the time you probably wouldn't choose the donor if you'd physically met them. And that's one of the things that the clinics take advantage of because you're not physically seeing these people. It's all based on trust. So if I said... I mean, they never measure me even. So if I'd said, yeah, I'm six foot six, I've got this colour hair, this colour of eyes, they don't check it. Mm. Do you have any history of mental health issues in your family? Mm. You could just tick the box that said no. People assume that the clinic will have had access to your notes, but they don't. Yeah, so I had to create this profile, give a little bit of information about myself. and What, what kind of thing did you put? So it was hard because I didn't want to identify myself because the guidance was don't do anything, don't say anything that's going to be too uh, identifying. But it just seems so natural. You'd want to see a photograph mm. of the person. You're mm. going gonna, gonna... to... Do they not see a photo? No, 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 definitely not. No, really? Because that's totally identifying. And you're not supposed to be able to identify the, the donor until the child is 18. Wow. You can get non-identifying information about the donor when the child is 16. Or, well... The recipients never get these rights. It's only the donor-conceived person. Right, okay. But I guess that kind of makes sense, but it's... But it's just a strange way. It's what it doesn't mimic anything to do with no, natural conception, No, does totally. It? Yeah. And you're essentially, you're conceiving with someone, you know just the most scant of information, you know, what kind of music they like, some basic characteristics of theirs. Anyone who's ever done internet dating would know hmm. that even when you see the photographs... When you meet the person, you can be extremely sh- surprised at what they're like. Mm. I mean, I, I'm actually on Tinder just now, and I would always speak to a girl on the phone before we met up. I think you can tell a lot by you know hearing someone's voice. You can definitely get much more sense of their personality compared to you know just words on a screen and mm. even photographs. But take away the photographs, you've really got no idea what you're dealing with because mm. everyone tends to be quite positive when they think about what the donor looks like. So they read a little description and they're, they're picturing George Clooney, but the reality is completely different. But it has basic information. It has ethnicity, eye colour, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Based on what the donor says. Yeah. So you fill in a great big form for the HFEA, the Human Fertility and Embryology Authority, which is the body that governs clinics in the UK. And um, there's a section, I think, do you have a message for the recipient family? I thought, oh my God, what the hell do you write here? Um, I hope you're good parents, you know, look after this kid or I'll come <laughs> and... F- no, I mean, like, wh- what do you say? So I, I, I Googled it. I was like, you know, well, what do people say on these kind of forums? It's like a best man's speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I Googled what to write in an HFEA form, I came across all these sites that were literally connecting donor to recipient directly without the clinic involved. And that was extremely shocking and extremely exciting as well because I thought, hold on, maybe maybe I've been going about this the wrong way. Because, you know, in society, 
if you're going to get a sperm donor, you do it through a clinic. It's a no-brainer. What did you know at the time about private donation? I didn't even know it existed at all. So when you saw those websites, did you even think maybe this isn't even legal? I just hadn't, yeah, there was loads of things going through my head. I, I thought, it's probably not legal, but it was very exciting. I did hundreds and hundreds of hours of reading and research, just trying to find out about it. Because it was like, whenever you, I answered one question, that answer would then lead to another 10 questions. I could physically choose the people I was going to donate to, which felt really strange. So, well, I kept on with the process through the clinic. I filled in my form, I, you know, some text for the child when they'd reach 18. Essentially, this is some... So what happens, I think they would contact the HFEA, you know, if they get told that their donor conceived, because there's nothing... The clinic can't force the parent to, to tell the child, even though it's, it's strongly advised. Actually, in the clinics used to recommend don't tell, because it'll mess them, mess them up. Now, the reality is that that is terrible advice mm. because the child is going to find out, you know, it might be a blood test. It might be, you know, a family illness or something. They are going to find out and they are going to feel extremely betrayed mm. that they've been lied to their whole lives. Whereas actually people deal with the truth very well. Mm. The child would contact the HFEA when they get to 18 and they would get this information, the non-identifying paragraph, the profile and maybe like a, so when they're 18, they would get, the paragraph of text that I'd written. So in, in my paragraph, I remember saying, I'm totally happy for you to contact me, wherever I am in the world. Um, I mean, my life has changed a lot since I filled in that initial paperwork. Mm. Um, in my head, I was going to be out traveling and things, but I think it was probably quite soppy, to be honest. You know, maybe saying that, you know, I hope you've had a really good life. I hope that you're, you, you know, you've got a good relationship with your parents. And if you're ever interested in your biological family, I'm totally there for you. Um, I will keep this telephone telephone number. I've had my mobile number since 95 when I first got my phone. So yeah, I still went through the, the process and started donating to the clinic. But there was this kind of like, this thing that was a secret from the clinic because I had actually asked the clinic about it. So do you know about this private? And they said, oh no, no, don't do that. It's totally, it's a bad idea, you know, and Again, not really going into any reason why it was a bad idea, but it was just, and I think it was because of ignorance. The, the clinic knew their part. They knew the law surrounding their bit, but they didn't know about great, you know, the the, the bigger picture. Mm. So they just didn't know about it. I mean, I was, I was actually very close to setting up the profile on one of these websites straight away. But then I became acutely aware that as soon as I did that, I could start getting requests and I was not ready. I did not know my stuff so when you say one of these websites so it's not a case of you setting up your own website oh no no you're not a startup business no, in this no no you go through there are still intermediaries but yeah. but what is it like right move for property basically is pretty it that much for sperm? Yeah, yeah yeah the website where i get most of my recipients is called pride angel mm -hmm. it's run by a, a british lesbian couple they've actually got a daughter who is donor conceived privately mm -hmm. and they essentially just wanted to help people do what they did. So their website is run not for profit. There are websites which are run totally for profit and you have to pay huge subscriptions every month. Well, I say huge, but you know, £30 a month. So with Pride Angel though, donors can be on there for totally for free and you essentially, the recipients would send you messages. So I think you can buy like maybe, you know, I think say 50 messages for 50 pounds or something and then you can send messages to donors 
And once you'd uploaded and the first message came through, what I did it absolutely say? shit myself. I mean, it was so scary right at the start. And I, this is why I'm so conscious of how scared the recipients probably are. Because I remember how scared I was. I was absolutely terrified. What was it? They're pretty much, there's not much variation with the messages. It just tends to be, hi, we really like your profile. And your profile had a photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you said a lot more about yourself, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I knew right from the start, I knew that the more open you are, the better. And of course, that's like with anything, with trust. When I get a message, say on Facebook, from a profile that has no photograph or has got a photograph of a flower, I don't trust no flower. Mm. Seeing someone's face... You know, getting to know details about them, and all, and with, in terms of the donor conceived person and the recipients, they want to know you're not going to disappear. I heard a story about a guy who would donate in London. Essentially, he would tell the recipient, "Leave your back door unlocked. I'll pop in, leave the donation on the side, and then once I'm out of the house, you can come downstairs and collect it." How bizarre! I don't know how unattractive this guy was that he felt he'd have to do this or if he was just paranoid about his identity because lots of lots of people are paranoid about the child support agency or the child maintenance service they are now but you know I'd done my research I knew what the law was and that that was a big chunk of the research was the legal implications of what I was going to be doing the key is the birth certificate if you're named on a birth certificate you have parental rights mm. and, and and if you'd just got a girl pregnant on a night out and yeah. then had nothing to do with her. She could name you on the birth certificate, and that's why. Well, you no, she, she can't name you on the birth certificate because you'd have to physically go along to register the birth okay. and consent. But she could go to the CMS, the Child Maintenance Service, and um, they don't they don't really care about birth certificates so much. Well, they do, but in that example, yeah, if you get somebody pregnant on a night out, they would they would just say, "Well, are you the, the father?" And they do a paternity test, right. and obviously you'd have to start paying, but. If you're donating privately, you know, through one of these websites, someone's contacted you, you, you think they look good, they, they seem nice, and if they're a single person, then it's essentially the same as getting somebody pregnant on a night out. That's why trust is so important. But if I donate to a heterosexual couple, then obviously the male is going to go on the birth certificate. Now, as a woman, you can take any man, the guy on the street outside, in to register the birth. Maybe she, she got pregnant on a night out. And then she, she puts her current partner on the birth certificate. That's totally legal. Now, a court can obviously change any of these things. Actually, it's, it's not a very well-known fact, but you can put a male on a blank birth certificate. So a birth certificate that doesn't have a male listed, you can put him on any time. So even when the child's, say, 16 years old, you know, if the biological father turned up, or even somebody else, to be honest, and was willing to sign the birth certificate, he can be added on. But with a lesbian couple... There's a particular act, um, it's called the HFEA Act 2008, and it was enacted in 2009. Now, it specifies that for both women to be listed on the birth certificate, there's three conditions have to be met. The couple have to have been civil partnered or married before conception. So the registrar would essentially look at the, the date of birth and then do a quick calculation. That's what they're supposed to do, a quick calculation to work out when the child was conceived, and it should... And it should be after that they were married or civil partnered. The second condition is that the non-birth parent consents. Now, I get that consent in writing, but also the consent is showing that she's physically going along to the registry office and she's signing yeah. as a second parent. And then the third condition is a harder one to prove, 
but the third condition is that they there was no sex so it had to be artificial insemination mm-hmm. so if those three conditions are met then both women can go on the birth certificate and that gives them full both full and equal legal rights and totally extinguishes my legal rights as the donor well and responsibilities so Obviously, having these messages is part of a way of clearing all of that up. You're saying along the way, you're answering questions about your interests and the music that you like and whatever, but you're also saying, this is how it's going to work. I need you to be in a civil partnership. You need to, the other mother needs to claim parental responsibility on the birth certificate. You're discussing all that, are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've got a list of 21 questions that I'd send out. The process used to be a lot longer before because I, it wasn't such a smooth operation at all. Because, you know, like I said, behind the scenes, I was absolutely shitting myself. So it'd be lots of emails backwards and forwards, me trying to like scratch in my head thinking, well, what else should I ask? What, what else do I need to know? You know, oh, oh, are they smokers? Okay, no, I don't want to donate to smokers. So I need to ask them if they're smokers, you know, and then that'd be like another bit of conversation and things. But now it's much smoother because I would literally just send this list of 21 questions and it covers, you know, what are their full names, their ages, how long they've been together, their marital status, are their plans for the future, their re- residential status, you know, are they living in rented accommodation, what do they do for work? Um, and none of these questions are questions you'd be able to ask if you're using a traditional clinic. Oh, no way, no. I mean, you don't get to talk to them. I don't get, no, I don't even know who they are or anything. So literally, the, the cli- I donate to the sperm to the clinic, but and then the, the question, the clinic are you a decides. smoker? I mean, that's a, okay, I guess you're thinking maybe, well, they might die of lung cancer prematurely and leave my child behind. Yeah, but, but, but also, also you're making it's... an ethical judgment. And the reason <laughs> that the clinics don't allow donators the smokers listening are going to be like this guy's a total asshole (laughs) the reason they don't allow donators to to ask those kinds of questions is because they want it to be completely it shouldn't be about whether it shouldn't be about what uh, political party they vote for or what their beliefs are that's a good question i should totally add that in what what political party do you vote for i'm joking i'm joking that would be um i'd be too far but uh but but it wouldn't be because once you start on the road of are you a smoker that's like it's a it is reasonable to say and also by the way i don't want anyone really right wing or really left wing for me, it's about finding the best parents I can for these kids. These are the, the parents that I would choose. People will judge me for this, but one of the questions is, are you a healthy weight? Because if you're obese, it's just going to have a huge implication for your health. If I could give these kids genetics, which mean that they aren't going to constantly be having to be dieting and worrying about their weight, and because it is genetic. What are the meetings like? Most of the time, to be honest, the first meeting is actually the first donation because they're a long way away. It just makes more sense practically to meet up at that first donation. So we tend to do things on Skype. So by the time you meet face to face, you've already basically consented to it. Yeah, this is all. This is a done deal. Okay, so this is a delicate question, but who have you rejected? To be honest, where people tend to get rejected are the answers to the questions and the photographs. And I think you can tell so much... I think this is why it's so strange to get a donor who's not, you can't see his face, but I, can, I think you can tell so much from, say, like five photographs of a couple. And that's where I've maybe thought, no, nah, these people are not for me. I mean, I get 10, 15 requests a week. What? And I'm only accepting three couples per year, pretty much. I'm only donating to about having three successes per year. So it's a huge, I mean, it's, what is it? I've not, done, I've not done the calculation, but it's less than 1%, say. Mm. So and, how do you reject the 99%? How do you tell them? You just I, say, I'm really sorry, but actually, I, I, I don't think this is for me. What do you say? <laughs> I'm giving away my trade secrets <laughs> now, but I, I would just say that I just don't feel we're a match. 
and then I would lead on to like, have you tried this website? Um, have you tried looking in this Facebook group or whatever? Where I am, where I'm getting my recipients from, these tend to be slightly smarter, a bit classier kind of people. Whereas the Facebook groups, and this is a generalization, of course, but the Facebook groups tend to be not so educated. I mean, it was only the last couple of years I found out about the Facebook groups, and they are like the Wild West. It's shocking, the stuff that goes on on these groups. If you think it's shocking and it's not classy, why are you on them? Um, So I'm on the Facebook groups essentially to provide guidance information to people um, because there's a lot of bad practice going on on the groups. So maybe donors donating anonymously. There's nothing to stop it if you're private. They're pretty much to try and be a, a little bit of a, it sounds big-headed, but a little bit of a role model for the donors. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I haven't ruled out that I'd find a recipient on Facebook. It just hasn't happened yet. For example, the biggest group in the UK is called the Free Sperm Donors UK, with exclamation marks at the end. <laughs> so literally, women will go on there and say, right, we need a donor. We're in this area. And anyone with a Facebook profile can be a member of that group and say, oh, I'll donate to you. It's just far too fast in lots of ways. And it's, I mean, some of the stuff that goes on in there is just shocking and the way people talk to each other and things. So that was that was quite a new part of donating because until then it had been, you know, these very polished websites like Pride Angel is so polished and everyone's got a pro, nice profile and it's a, just a very different experience. Do you think it should be legal, those Facebook groups? I think it would be a, an impossible thing to make illegal because you can't stop. Same as if the government said, we're going to make one night stands illegal, guys. <laughs> it would just be so hard. You cannot stop someone physically finding someone, asking them to give them sperm, and then that transaction happening. It's whether you'd like to make it illegal or not, it's not possible. You can stop the payment for it, though, right? Uh, see, people say that it's illegal to sell sperm, but I mean, the clinic won't pay you for the sperm. They're paying you for the expenses. And right now, the rate, a clinic in the UK, is £35 per visit. You know, so if you, maybe over a course of a of a donation cycle, you might have maybe 10, 11, 12 donations. So £35 per visit. It's not too bad, but it's not a life-changing amount of money. But the, the act itself is life-changing, especially down the line. But yeah, I've heard of a guy in London who was charging £5,000 per child. So he was doing this very financially. And is that legal in this country? There's nothing, nothing to stop it, really. Yeah, he, it's, But you don't get paid? Th- there's no, no, I don't get paid. So I, I don't charge my recipients anything. So there was a couple were up in Aberdeen last weekend, and all they would have paid for was their the fuel for their car and their hotel. You know, So compared to maybe buying sperm. Because the options that a recipient has, essentially, so you've got all the ones that people would know about. So, oh, why don't you just go and have a one-night stand? Hold on, I'm a married woman. I'm in love with my partner. I'm not going to go and do that. So that's one option. Ask a friend, which is risky because what if your friend, he's not a donor, he's he's not, he's, his head's in a different place. So he essentially, what if he falls in love with a child? What if he wants to be a bit of a role? And you do hear these cases where someone's asked a friend and somebody say a gay male, for example, seems to be quite a common situation. Mm, gay couples helping each other. Yeah, and then he realises, oh my God, actually, as a gay male, this is going to be hard for me to have my own child. And it dawns on him, this is his biological child, and he wants to be a bit more involved. Mm. So maybe they've talked about, oh, you'll be like an uncle. But an uncle role to one person is very different to another person. And then they have a this big legal case because their expectations were totally different. 
So that's, an, that's another possibility. And it, it, that can work in certain situations or co-parenting among three people. In the UK, a child always has, well, there's a few exceptions, but it generally always has two legal parents, even if there's no one named, named on the birth certificate. Mm. You know, the court will say that the, p- the paternal father. But in, a, in California, a child can have several parents, several legal parents, and they have these complicated agreements where you might have two men and two women coming together to co-parent these children. But yeah, in the UK, it's just the two parents. I would say any advice to anyone who's interested in getting a donor or being a donor would be you need to think through what you want and also have have it written on paper. So my legal agreements that I have with my recipients, they're not really worth anything because legally we're already covered in statute. Well, that's why it's not illegal to sell sperm because there's no statute law that says, I could sell you a pint of blood if you, you know, I could take it out and give you, right, I don't know what you're going to do with that. Maybe you're a vampire, but there's nothing, there's nothing in the statute that says it's illegal. And it's the same with sperm. But we are covered if I donate to a lesbian couple and they meet those three conditions, you know, married, civil partnered, AI, and the non-birth parent consent. Okay, but you're putting in so much time you know, you are drafting legal agreements, you spent hundreds of hours on the internet, you're sort of self-policing these Facebook groups. Why would it not be reasonable to charge? If you wanted to charge, you could charge. But, but why, why don't you want to charge? Because well, if it, the answer is because you're trying to help people, yes, but you're giving up so much of your time that actually you're not a charity. Yeah, but... Why not be paid for my, your time reasonably? My logic is that everything I've done in relation to my sperm donation is about what's best for the child. And could you imagine... So you've asked your parents... Okay, so how was I conceived? I've grown up knowing I've got a donor out there. How did you find the guy? A common question, I think, would be, so did you pay him? And imagine if the answer comes back, yeah, yeah, we gave him £500 in a brown bag. I mean, you've got instantly got an idea of what your biological father is. Mm. Like He's not doing this to, to help your parents. He, this is just a money-making scheme for him. And it doesn't matter that maybe he's wealthy and he, he's lost three days work by donating so that that money was to cover that. Who cares? All you would see is that your biological father is an opportunist who's just taken advantage of this situation, taking advantage of someone who needs some sperm. Whereas my conscience is clear in that respect in that, you know, they ask, oh, did you pay this guy, Mitch? No, we didn't, didn't pay him a penny. We literally, you know, we maybe paid his flight to come and visit us, you know, and we bought him some food that night and that's it. I've totally thrown myself into the donating because for me, it was very important. I don't just want to donate locally. I want to find the very best recipients I can, wherever they are. So if they're in the south of Devon, I'm going there. That's fine. If This is like the great couple. I mean, it's also, I suppose, if you do just do it locally, opening your children up to the possibility they might end up in relationships with each other if there's dozens of them. That leads on to, yeah, a huge misconception is that, oh, you're a sperm donor. You've got loads of kids. They're all going to interbreed. Mm. Well, no, I'm not saying that. No, no, no. That, that strikes and, me as and, unlikely. And, but if they were all in the same yeah, city, but, then but it is lot, quite possible, a, isn't a it? A lot of people, yeah. And a lot of people do think that. Actually, it's more likely with a clinic. A clinic will cover that city or, you know, a, a predefined geographic area because that's how the NHS works. They're clinical commissioning or groups and things. But they have a limit of 10. So, but imagine you could think potentially 20 to 30, I think would be quite a typical, you know, 2.4 children a typical number, 20 to 30 people in that city. And a lot of them might not know their donor conceived. There could be heterosexual couples, single women, lesbian couples. But with my donating, when it's private, 
all these children know. So, for example, almost all of my recipients are lesbian couples. I just think it's, if I was choosing, you know, the recipient, the perfect recipient, it's a lesbian couple. Why? I just found that when I'd spoken to heterosexual couples, there was a, a dark dynamic that wasn't present with a lesbian couple. It was almost like the guy would tend to take a bit of a, a lead on organizing things, you know, to be a bit more involved. But you could just totally tell that he didn't really want to be doing this. Mm. This is not how he would want to conceive his family. But he's either had a vasectomy or, you know, he's infertile. Whereas with a, a lesbian couple, they don't have that. There's no negativity built in. There's no dark cloud. They're both women. They've always known that they would need a donor to conceive. Well, one of my couples, they conceived at home, alone in bed together. It worked first time, like most of my recipients do. It tends to either work first, second, or third time because the biomedical knowledge is spot on. You know, we're doing what's going to work best. But, you know, that that sense that she made her partner, her wife, pregnant. Mm. You know, there was no, she wasn't just holding her hand during some procedure at, at a clinic. Mm. You know, she did it herself, and that is just... You know, that gives her the satisfaction, whereas if a man was inseminating his wife, mm. yeah, he's got her pregnant, but he's using someone else's sperm. And I think there's that underlying... Emasculation. Yeah, I think it was, it was just a hard situation. To, well, they, they, were, were, they were never very chatty, and I felt that the woman was all often holding back. It just didn't feel so, so natural. And then I, do, I have donated to single women, but those single women are exceptional. Those are exceptional women because I early on found that I don't think it's an ideal situation to only have one parent. Mm. Yeah, if you've got one parent, great, raised by a single mum or single father, that's great. But it's not what you would choose. No one would choose that, surely. Why would you not want two parents? Talk me through the practical application then. How does the insemination happen? So essentially, the couple have been taking their folic acid. They're monitoring their ovulation. They're using pee sticks, so ovulation tests, which detect LH in, so luteinizing hormone in the urine. So if they said, right, okay, we're aiming for the 15th of the month, I'm thinking, right, around about the 12th, I need to stop having sex because I want to give them like a decent donation. So maybe say on the morning of the 15th or the 16th, they get their LH surge in the morning pee. So on a lot of the tests, the, the digital ones, it'll come up a, a solid smiley face. They would pretty much get in touch and say, right, we found some flights. Can you make it? <laughs> and it's a, a case of me literally just you know, heading to the airport or whatever and heading down. Now, some donors, it would, they would only be donating within a, you know, that the city they're in. But for me, it was about finding the best recipients and they tend to be distance is quite a big thing. So I essentially go to them. I would tend to, because I've got to know them over the phone and things and we've spoken on Skype, I would tend to stay with them in their house. It saves them money and it's just kind of getting to see where they live. Mm. We eat together. Um, I'll stay in a spare room or whatever which tends to then become the baby room, ironically. <laughs> um, so say if maybe they got their LH surge that morning, I'd aim to donate to them probably that night. So we know, this is a fact, that when someone gets their LH surge, they are gonna, their egg is going to release within 24 to 36 hours. You know, they might ovulate overnight, so it's not going to get detected until the urine in the morning. But we're always thinking about that. And the egg has to be fertilised within... 0.6 days of it being released. So that's what we're aiming for. But I do a donation that night when I arrive at their house and then a donation again in the morning before I maybe fly back. 
So two, always two. I uh, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's only just the one. And in, into what? What so yeah? Did you use? So I use well my first donation, and it worked first time, and that was in Aberdeen, and that was a sandwich box. <laughs> so I, I mean, they handed me the sandwich box, and I was like, "Right, guys, I'm not going to fill this. You do know." <laughs> um, back in those days, I actually used to take a witness. So I had a friend who was a nurse. She'd come along, not to witness me me masturbating, but to, to witness that there was no sexual contact because I was concerned, well, how do I prove that there's no sexual contact? Mm. It's, it was total overkill. I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. It was pretty nerve-wracking. Mm. But, you know, essentially, there, there's no rush. The couple, they're just doing their thing. You're just in the bathroom or whatever with your sandwich box. So people used to bring their own stuff, and I just found that they would either forget it or they would bring absolute crap you know, like somebody gives me like a baby, like, oh, we forgot our stuff. So here's a baby food jar that we've emptied out. And I was like, no, it's glass, which is a bit too conductive. You know, it doesn't insulate the sperm so well. So so then I started buying in bulk. So I'd buy 300 kits at a time. So that's a 60 mil sterile pot. So it's a sterile pot that like he's using a lab with a white cap. That's what the NHS use as well. Mm-hmm. And so I ejaculate into that, literally just covering the bottom. And then I pass it to the recipient. Now, they've already got kit from me. So a speculum. So you t- turn the, the, the thumb wheel and it opens it up and it allows you to physically, the partner, to see the cervix. So then she puts a tube, like a long sterile tube in a plastic packet on the end of a syringe, which is obviously st- sterile as well. And then she puts the tube into the this, this sample, takes out a mill, maybe you saw a little, half the tube, she puts the lid back on the pot so that it's... Because we don't want it to dry out. Is it penis-shaped? <laughs> no, no. Because so, I'd imagine biologically that's the best delivery mechanic, is something in that exact shape and size. No? <laughs> You're a purist. Um, uh, it, no, it's... I mean, w- women listening to this will know that um, exactly what a speculum's like because they've had a sm- smear test. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially... It is, it's very much like a duck bill. It goes in and and then it opens up, so it looks like a you know a, a duck quacking with its mouth really wide open. But you saying about them taking their time and everything is the advice still? Basically, this is best delivered in a sexually satisfying situation, essentially, rather than a kind of medical procedure. Um, does it? In reality, does it not make well, a difference? I think a lot of couples think that it's going to be quite almost romantic when they conceive their child, mm. but the reality is that it's it's not. I've actually heard couples killing themselves laughing so i'm in their home and i can hear them in the bedroom upstairs or whatever and they're killing themselves laughing maybe because she's got some sperm on her hand imagine the scene her like pelvis is propped up on pillows on the bed uh she's got a speculum inside her she's holding the speculum in the best tip i say there is she puts the speculum in herself and then the partner opens it up for some reason a lot of people have told me that advice it works really well her partner has got her headlight torch on her on her forehead, <laughs> so it's like those old fashioned doctors or like a miner. So one of my recipients, they came up, they coined the expression, and I, t- I tell everyone now, she calls her partner her vagina miner, <laughs> and uh, it's just so apt. But it is that sense of satisfaction. But it's, it's not a very sexy situation. But the the, the headlight torch allows you to be hands free. Mm. to not have to be using your iPhone torch mm. to try and see into the vagina. So yeah, there's, a, there's a, an opening at the back of the speculum, like a big hole, and you literally allows you access so you can physically see the cervix. The tube goes in, they place that, say, one mil right into the little hole. It's not going through the hole. Wait five minutes, then take the speculum out, wait another five, ten minutes, and that's just 
to give the sperm and that mill a chance to get through. It's like an airport turnstile. You throw a thousand people at the turnstile, but it's a it's a set rate how can how many can get through. But it's what if you're smart, you'd keep it in groups of a hundred, send them, and then you're get more likely people are gonna get through. It's gonna be spread out. And they do another mill and another mill until there's nothing left in the pot. How many of your pregnancies uh, were brought to term? I tend to count it in terms of family because that's what the HFEA does. There's 23 families. Three of those have twins. Four of those are onto their second child. So we're talking... Do you not know the number? Uh, you don't, do you? <laughs> you don't know how many children you've had. I, I, I did know the number at one point, but I, th- I, mean, I mean, we're talking... Mm, so it's more than 30. 30. It's more than 30. But yeah, you don't yeah. know the number? No, it's about mid-30s, I think. Wow. Um, and there's five pregnancies ongoing just now just because I, I do very much think of, of the, f- the families rather than the the actual individual children sure so hopefully if those pregnancies go to term and you've got your own son as well that's actually 40 isn't it yeah and that's I mean, a lot I mean I'm not very numbers based I'm this is not an ego thing for me if it was I could I could have had thousands of children by now is there a limit though where you think actually that is too much yeah I mean I, I'm probably gonna be in the within the next year I'm gonna not be taking on any new recipients and then it'll just be focusing on the people have already agreed to help. To be honest, I'm so picky now about who I'm donating to that in realistic terms, I'm not the, the number's not going to increase much. But there's people I've agreed to help. I will always be available to them. And also, there's, you know, my existing families, even in 10 years' time, if they said, oh, we'd, we'd, like, we'd like a fourth child or something. So it could plausibly get to 70, let's say. If I had to guess a number, it's probably going to get to something maybe like... Yeah, 55, 60, something like that. And you mentioned that you're on Tinder at the moment. What do your prospective dates make of this? They tend to be really positive or really negative, and it's, it's quite a good acid test. I would tend to tell... Is your first girl, date's always basically going through all the questions we've just gone through for the last Pretty hour. much, yeah, yeah. Although I might keep it for a second date, just because <laughs> it's... it's Things are getting serious now, so you should know. <laughs> yeah. If we have children, there may be 60 half-brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. Actually, my... My previous relationship, we were together a year. She admitted that she wouldn't have dated me if she'd known about my son or the donating before she'd actually got to know me a little bit. And how do your partners respond when you say, sorry, love, I can't spend the weekend with you. I'm going down to Brighton to, you know, masturbate into a sandwich box because I need to help this couple. Have you heard some of my conversations? (laughs) I've pretty much said that. Um, I think because they know I'm passionate about it, then they tend to get behind it or at least pretend to. But it's never really been that much of an effect because for, in my life anyway, I tend to do it, due, it tends to be more during the week um, and that's when I'm free. So I, I pretty much, I've set up my life so I'm working at the weekend. I don't earn a huge amount of money, but it allows me to be free to donate during the week. Well, and, what do you do, by the way? I mean, I do a bit of modelling, acting, um, random kind of jobs. Uh, most of my income is from dancing. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've even done exotic dancing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I've been a male stripper. Actually... Recently, that's been most of my income. So, yeah, very random. And that's another negative that women don't, they don't want to date a male, a male stripper. It doesn't give me much money, but it means that the, I'm not working much. It's pretty much Saturday night. And then I'm able to travel. So it doesn't tend to affect them that much. The bigger effect is when you're sleeping with your, your girlfriend or whatever, and you can't finish because you're saving up for someone else. But I became a master, and this is actually this is a bit of a bonus, a master at kind of like holding off. So like going through the motions, getting, but then stopping, right? 
right before I'm away to come. Mm. But that for her, that and to be honest, be. that should probably be quite a good skill for most men. Sure, really. I mean, like, but for her, that is a bit of a mindfuck, isn't it? Uh, well, no, I'm not saying it's not pleasurable. I, I'm saying it's just knowing that your boyfriend isn't ejaculating in or near you because she still can, someone though. Else. She, she still she, can. She, she can still finish. But no, I, I don't think that's so much of a mindfuck. Something that, to be honest, is a little bit unusual is that. So I maybe take a partner with me to donate. Hmm. Uh, so essentially, I'm having sex with her, but I pull out and ejaculate into the pot. Mm-hmm. Now, this is with the consent of the couple, obviously. They know what's going on. Mm. So it, I used to tease my ex that, because it was this little girl conceived, that was pretty much, in a way, her baby, because it's not often that you can sleep with a guy and someone else gets pregnant. <laughs> yeah. But that's, so that's what had happened. And, you know, maybe I'd take maybe like, I've taken a, actually, I've taken a few friends with benefits to do that. Well, actually, the most recent girl, she 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 actually really liked it. She thought it was really fun that... Very random, because essentially she'd gone into a stranger's house, gone into their bathroom, had sex with me. Now, that, actually, that donation didn't work. Hmm. Um, but she said, yeah, like, Mitch, you're so random. Your life is so random. When the babies are born, how do you find out? Do you get a text? Yeah, yeah. Do you get it's a call? Like WhatsApp. So I've got a WhatsApp group with pretty much all my recipients. Oh, I've got most of them on Facebook. So I, I'll just maybe check out my Facebook and I'll see, oh, there's that little boy, you know, and oh, God, he looks big. You know, so they'll, I'll share photographs of me and my son. Uh, they'll share photographs of their child. So yeah, on the day, I tend to know when it's when it's happening. So we've spoken in advance. I'd know the gender. You know, they go for a gender scan. They would tell me they'd send scan photographs. Often they don't have to. I say it's all up to them. It's just amazing to get that photographs of these of this little person that. You know, and they'll tell you the name and you think, oh my God, that's an interesting name. No, I'm joking. Um, if any of my recipients are listening, no, the names you've chosen for your children are excellent. <laughs> but, you know, so I'll get the birth weight and what time they were born. And it's just an amazing experience. It's unlike anything else. I mean, how often can a, a, an average guy on the street get an opportunity to do something so life-changing? I mean, I'm not a, a world-renowned surgeon or you know, a helicopter pilot is plucking people out of the sea or something, you know. I'm just on a Joe Bloggs on the street and I'm doing something regularly which is literally making people's dreams come true. Mm. It'd almost be like being the guy that delivers the Camelot checks, maybe. I mean, that must be such a great job. Like, or when they call to confirm, telling them, you know, like, yes, you're a winner. I mean, how amazing would that be? Just seeing joy from people. And you, you know, as a parent, I know just how how amazing it is to be a parent. It's the best job in the world. And I can't believe that I didn't want to be a parent. Have you thought about what might happen if in not 18 years' time where they might want to get in touch with you, but in seven years' time where one of your little boys is having a problem and the mums think, you know what, he needs a male role model to speak to, shall we call Mitch? One of my questions is, in my original 21 questions, is talking about you know, real model support network, you know, other kids in the family and stuff. But I would probably be open to any request that a recipient comes to me with. I mean, I've been asked the other week, I got a message on WhatsApp saying, or a little boy, uh, he said, like, I'm really good at football. Is Mitch good at football? And I said, no, like, I'm not at all. Like, you know, it's just my brother is, my dad is, but me, no. You know, so they can they can ask questions through their parents. Mm. Um, so if if the parents contact me with anything, it could be that I'm even younger than eighteen. So maybe maybe like fourteen that they say, well, actually, our kids really grown up. They've got their head on their shoulders firmly, and um, they want to meet you, like I was. Yeah, when I was that age, um, my son even he's 
he's very grown up in lots of ways. Yeah, and if they said, oh, he's, he's 14, um, we think it'd be good, I would totally consider that. And I guess I'm just going to follow the, the children's lead. So if they want, you know, like a, a distant friend, a Facebook friend from me, then yeah, I could do that. If they wanted more of a, a little bit, like a closer friend. But I'd imagine the relationship is going to be like a friendship. I'm not and, their parent. And, and what if they want money? I mean, that is something that people will say is what if one of them, you know, has a an illness or desperately gets in trouble and you're someone they can ask? You don't have a legal obligation to. No, I don't have a legal obligation to. I think it would be a... I can't imagine it unless we'd had some kind of... Unless we had some kind of relationship. Mm. You know, or I'd come into money. I mean, if you knew that your your donor had 60, say, biological children, I can't imagine you would think... There's now queerest folk, I suppose. It's hard to preempt these things. That's one of the hardest things about becoming a donor at the start was thinking, well, this is how I feel now. How am I going to feel in 20 years' time, mm. 30 years' time? And it's these are impossible questions because my life has changed a lot since then. I became a, a, a father, and I've, that actually pushed me more into the donating. But these are, these are such big questions, such a big deal. And it, it's literally life-changing, you know, the creation of a person. It boggles my mind sometimes. I mean, even just the, the practicalities, I hand over a a liquid and a person is created it just it seems alien to me it doesn't make any sense but it's so satisfying I love it Mitch Kennedy and if you have a story to tell us on the next series of The Modern Man visit our website modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click feedback still to come our record of the week and Alex Fox is up next after this Okay, finally, it is time for our season eight rap party. We reach our climax with our final foxhole. Hello, Alex Fox. Hello, Ollie Man. Are you ready to get lubricated in a whole new way this week for our finale? Well, I am. How do you feel about that, Ollie Piers? Well, as usual, I'm pretty disgusted already. Well, you shouldn't feel disgusted, Ollie, Ollie's, because I've brought you some booze. Some really very special booze. In fact, Ollie's. You're still P. giving a face like, do I have to put that in my penis? <laughs> or drink it out of a Johnny or something. It's going to be just gross. <laughs> of all the things I could ask you to put in your mouth, Ollie P, this is the least offensive. And it was, in fact, inspired by you. Mm. Last week, you investigated English wine. I have been sent a bottle of gin made from wine which was manufactured from grapes grown in the British countryside. And guess what it's called? Gin? Um, foxhole gin. No. Yes, I've brought you some foxhole gin. But it's not, it's not actually named after you. You haven't branched out into your own special line of gin. My personality is such that people feel prompted to heavily drink gin when in my presence. But no, it's not inspired directly by me. It's just a lovely coincidence and they've sent us a lovely bottle to celebrate. Thank Alex Fox's bootlegged booze. OK, it's time as ever to pause to thank our sponsors for the foxhole, mycondom.com. For Connies and Johnnies, whether you need them tight because you're a little bit on the slight side or more loose because you've got a lot of moose in your caboose, what I'm trying to say is if you've got a big dick or a small one, they will cater to you. In fact, if you don't have a dick at all, they also have lots of toys and joys and lubes and stuff for in and around your pubes for ladies too. There you are. I didn't go to a music festival this year, but I feel like I've been in a poetry <laughs> tent now. <laughs> okay. I just watched in admiration. <laughs> okay, uh, the question comes from Kashi, who says, Alex, with so many subscription boxes for crafts and food on the market, I've been looking to find a sex box that you can get in the post. 
but with so many out there on the market, I want to know which one is the best and are they worth it? We tried one. We only had it for one month as it was 20 quid. We got some lube, a dildo and some anal beads. I think all in all the probable total worth was around a tenner. So which one do you think is best? Now, I've tried a number of subscription boxes over the years. There's a few really good ones in the US. They tend to be more successful in the States. Uh, Particularly, there's one called Unbound, which is quite a modern one uh, that's marketed to millennial women. Uh, Historically, though, the boxes you can get in the UK have been a bit naff. As Kashi has said, like sometimes you feel like you're getting the dregs of the sex toy market. It's what someone's been able to buy cheap, chuck in a package and chuck out for a reduced price. Now, sex subscription box are good for people who want surprises. They're good for folks who want to have an added incentive to keep things spicy and, and, and have some innovative inspiration arrive for them in a regular manner. And probably don't want to do all the research themselves. Yeah, precisely. Some people don't want all the faff and fuss of researching deeply into different toys. They just want something to arrive through the mail that they're not expecting, they don't know what it is, mm. uh, to inspire them. I suppose also... If it's come from a company, not from you, as it were, you haven't chosen it, it's maybe an easier sell for your partner. It's Precisely. Like, this is what we have to do this month. We have to try the gimp mask. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you were like, this is what I really want to do, should we order one? It's a different conversation, isn't it? It's a very good, subtle, nuanced way of suggesting something without having to do it directly. Mm. Or if you're someone who doesn't really know what you like yet and you don't know where to start in your explorations, then a box can be a good place. Now, Ollie, you tested uh, food delivery boxes mm. for us, didn't you? Recipe boxes. Yeah. Um, are you ready to put your expertise to the test in reviewing these? I am. I do have one question, though. With food boxes, you can go, oh, well, I'm veggie. Is there like an equivalent, I won't do piss games? The one I'm going to ask you to open first is different primarily because it allows you a, a greater degree of customization than has Ooh. been available in boxes in the past. So box, uk, whose average box is about 70 quid, so a, a fairly wow. big outlay. One box is one 70 box, quid. Yeah. They have different price structures, but right. yeah, around 70 quid. But one thing that makes them different uh, is that they say they will never put crap in there. It's not like fluffy <laughs> hand I should bloody well hope not. (laughs) They are, as as far as I'm aware, one of the few box companies on the market who will do things for singles, uh, who are female or male, couples, same-sex couples. Uh, They do honeymoon boxes, kink boxes, an anal box where you can choose the level of expertise of your arse. So if you're a beginner... Enthusiastic amateur. (laughs) (laughs) Grizzled veteran over here in the corner. So, okay, so have you got a box box here? Yeah, this is their hot box, and this is aimed at couples. So, Ollie P, if you want to open that. This is uh, a clitoral arousal gel. Ollie, uh-huh. do you want to? Yes, thank you. Yes, I will. Thank you. Yes. Okay, so this is uh, Rock Rings, the double dragon. I can't even figure out what that is. That goes on the base of your cock. Oh, it does, is it? There's pleasure beads, Kegel balls, uh, whatever that is, a flexi bunny. Making it sound like a market trader. <laughs> Yeah, two for a pound, mate. Two for a pound. Silicon personalised moisturiser. This is a really interesting product. This is a massage candle. It's made with soy wax that that melts at a lower temperature than usual candles, so you can drizzle it all over your partner. Now that genuinely sounds erotic and not weird. Well, it also comes in a black container that's covered in uh, chalkboard paint, (laughs) so you can write an erotic message to your partner and change it up every time. You can leave them a little saucy Um, note. Don't forget to put the bins out. I think this box is actually pretty good value for money, totting up what I know you get in there. Okay, next up, 
a box that's much thinner and it's like you've got a DVD in the post from Amazon. That's what it looks like. It's black with ribbon on it. What's that one? I'm pretty sure this isn't for me. Ooh. Ooh. You say it's not for you. Uh, You'd certainly turn heads wearing that. Well, I'm not quite sure what they are. It's, it's some kind of hammock. Some sort of undergarment, isn't it? <laughs> it's a hammock for your ham, for your lady ham. Yeah. Oh. This box is a little <laughs> bit different. Oh, that's what it is. Ham hammocks. <laughs> I wonder what it was. Yeah. I'm genuinely trying to figure out what that is. Oh, shit. Yeah, gotcha. This is an underwear-based box from projectlingerie.com. Uh, it costs about £15 a month if you just want the knickknacks, the knickers. That's quite uh, good value th- for sexy knickers, yeah, isn't yeah. it, actually? And yeah. then £36 gets you things like stockings, a bra, knickers, all in the size that you specify. And if it turns out that they don't fit your boobaloobas, then you can send them back and they'll switch them for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got some aromatherapy candles in this one. I think this is, again, another really nice incentive to spice up your love life. And it's it's good for self-appreciation and nice body image, I think. And actually, I think that wouldn't be a creepy present. You know, if you bought that for your girlfriend or wife... I don't think that would be something where you'd be sort of pressuring them into something sordid there. Yeah, it feels more pampering than It's a bit more of a treat for her, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. although they are sexy. They do have plans because they're quite a new company and in the run-up to Christmas, they tell me that they are going to launch boxes that in addition to the lingerie have things like eye masks and leather gloves and get a little bit kinkier. So they're one to keep an eye on and uh, wrap your brown eye in as well. Okay, Um, this one (laughs) is from Love Honey. So I've heard of them. Now, these aren't subscription boxes. These are one-off selection boxes that you can just buy direct from their website oh, so it's the sex equivalent of the kellogg's variety pack <laughs> yeah yeah then they and... will make you snap crackle and pop as well <laughs> or get crunchy nuts well let's, <laughs> let's see which of these is the equivalent of frosties and which is the corn pops uh i've got the 50 shades freed pleasure collection now, I'll be interested Exciting. to see what you think Ooh. of this, boys, because Fifty Shades of Grey, amongst lots of people, has a reputation of being cheesy and a bit of a letdown. But I reckon the toy range, which is exclusive to Love Honey, is actually very, very high quality. Okay. So uh, so when you open it up, it looks a bit like an advent calendar, but instead of obviously having 25 or 30 flaps to open, there are 10. So there are t- I just said flaps. We're about to play with sex toys. Nothing yes, funny it's about fine. that. It's fine. Yeah, go on. Right. Carry on. So I'm going to finger this flap here and open... <laughs> Number six. That's I it. think this Put would be in. a really good thing to take on holiday because it doesn't have any liquid. <laughs> no, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. <laughs> Why would it be? Because then you could open something different every day of your holiday. It's by the pool. I just in my head, I had by the pool because he opened it like a book. I just see someone going, "What should we do tonight, love? Oh, let's go number five. Ooh, I actually agree with Alex for the record. I think this would be nice if you're going to have ten days of sex. Why not? Yeah, but maybe don't take it down to your all-inclusive buffet breakfast. Yeah. So this is somewhere between a tassel and a whip. I would describe it as. Can I? Can I use it on you? Um, sure. It's um. We need to establish a safe word here, boys. <laughs> What's your safe word, Ollie? Help. Yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible safe word. So it's got a, actually, you're right, Alex, surprisingly classy for a tie-in with Fifty Shades of Grey copper buckle. This and then this purple leather straps. <laughs> no, come on, safe word, safe word. No. <laughs> <laughs> come on. It's fine, I can handle it. Yeah, it's great. I won't say I'll find this. No, I'm waiting to get the safe word out. <laughs> okay. It's. I'm not enjoying it, but it's fine. Well, say help well it doesn't hurt, so it's fine. I mean, you can do it if you want. If it's helping you, this is toxic masculinity it. at its finest. Here, <laughs> do it to me. See, that was pathetic. Do it again. You want a really hard one? Yeah, yeah. Of course, I want to see why people do this. 
They generally don't do it on their no, forearms, Ollie P. It's pleasurable pain, right? Yeah, what you've well, got there is a flogger um, made out of <laughs> strands of, I think this is vegan leather, purple vegan leather, uh, with a little rose gold clasp. This is designed so that you could maybe attach it to jewellery or to a handbag so it looks yes. subtle to everyone else. No, it was a sex thing. Yeah, but it's a little sexy clue to your <coughs> lover. Flap number three has produced a blindfold. Oh, I should have blindfolded you first so you didn't know I was going to hit you. Sure, yes, that would have been more erotic. It's going to get more and more like a torture scenario. The thing is here, though... It's quite soft, yes, quite soft and velvety, quite nice. You look ridiculous. Oh, and it's it's scented. But surely for this one, though, if you just opened one, it's like, oh, well, we're done hitting each other. So you'd open, like, three or four of them, right? You Well, you make up your own rules as you go along. If you want to open everything in the box in one night, then that's great. If you want to open one thing at a time and be as creative as possible with it and really explore all the ways that you can use it, then you can do it that way. Finally, gents, I've brought something in which isn't strictly aimed at you, but I thought this might be a good teachable moment. So I'm going to learn something, am I, from the pink parcel? You are indeed. What are these festival bands? What you're looking at here, Ollie, yeah. is a little box of treats that are mailed to women every month to coincide with their menstrual cycle. Oh, okay, so it's not strictly uh, a sex thing. In no. fact, it's not at all a sex thing. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a it's sex thing. It's a genital thing, but it's not a sex thing. Yeah, it's okay. kind of a sex thing if you want to make your partner feel more sexy around the time of their period and you want to show them as a man that you are accepting of their menstruation and that it's fine you know you're you're a modern dude there is often the option in these boxes that any menstrual supplies that you don't use can be sent to a bloody good period uh, who do a lot of work providing sanitary towels and tampons to refugees and asylum seekers they also have a project called i'm on uh, where they sell t-shirts and sweatshirts stuff like that and again all the money goes to charity hold on and so, is that the idea that you wear that much when you're on your period you can do if you want. But yeah. that's the idea. That's what it means. Yeah, right? yeah. They're all about starting Period conversations. Period positivity. Yeah, there's quite a few. There's Betty Box, which is for younger teenagers. Uh, there's TOTM, uh, time of the month. There's lots and lots of subscription boxes that are designed to make menstruation a less shameful and taboo thing and less unpleasant, really, less, less of a trial. And I think it's important for guys to know this as well as girls. If you want your sex life, your love life, your general relationship to go well, showing that you understand your partner's body does put you in good stead. Alex, thank you. If people want to uh, get hold of any of these boxes, we'll, we'll put links to all of them on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. I'll do a live unboxing on my Instagram account as well, so you can see everything that's that's included. Uh, if you want to follow me, it's at Alex Fox with one eye, like Cyclops, A-L-I-X-F-O-X. And if you have a question of sex for Alex, you can submit it through the feedback page on our website. And our thanks again to our sponsors at mycondom.com for another series of supporting the foxhole. As ever, if you use the code FOXHOLE, you get 15% off everything on their site. Gents, it's been a pleasure having you open my box. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this week's Modern Man. But before we go, I do just have time to appoint a new Manbassador. It's Fuzz. She's actually a member of our production team, but I'm giving her a Manbassadorship as she leaves her post because it's cheaper than buying her a gold watch. Uh, Fuzz has worked tirelessly with us over the last eight seasons, helping us select and clear all the music you've heard as our record of the week. Fuzz, we love you and we wish you the best of luck in some old-fashioned medium called radio. You are now and will remain our ambassador for music, Fuzz Chowdhury. Right, our theme is by Django Django from their self-titled debut album and here is the last record pick of the Chowdhury era. It's called Wildin', it's by Berhana 
and it's available to stream now. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you in October. I was in a basement When placement payment came in That shit was bananas Busted through my homie door Like Costanza Think we ready The fuck these niggas up With my nigga Freddy In a checkered pickup Try picking up hella Henny Looking for the hoes I'm wiping Cause it's all I know I'm hoping I don't waste it Just trying to buy my mama clothes Pen my prayers to the base guy Cause mama say she think I'm chose I'm hoping I don't waste it I always picture picture perfect Must have been out of my mind Tried to figure if the shit was really worth it But is it worth this? Probably not Probably got worse off my few shots I hit the boom dots Played me off the boom box Bone cloud bastard making music for the masses you're in. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. <laughs> to be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.